Hello, listeners, and welcome to Mostly Murder, But Sometimes Not, a podcast where four siblings watch, read, listen to, just consume in some way, mysteries, mayhem, murder, crimes, heists, and the like. For this episode, we watched Rear Window, and it was recorded in October of 2017. Warnings for this episode include suicidal ideation, murder, beheading slash dismemberment, and animal death, and we are pre-apologizing for the length of this episode, but the movie is just that good. Also, uh, in the very beginning of this episode, Katie lists it as episode number 12. It's actually the 11th, if the order of these matters to you. As always, the Count the Penises segment is henceforth known as the Patriarchy Bullshit Scale, and you can find further information about that and the podcast in general on our website, mostlymurderbutsometimesnot.com, which is the same as our email address, mostlymurderbutsometimesnot at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. The handles for those are at mostlymurderpod. That should be everything, so thank you for listening and enjoy. You are cordially invited to the manor in the woods, where an evening of discussion is being held by the O'Brien siblings. Catherine, the encyclopedia. Carolyn, the bookworm. Madeline, the wild card. And Mackenzie, the eclectic. Join them in the study where there will be talk of murder, robbery, deception, and conveniently cloaked figures. So get cozy, pour yourself a cuppa, and join us for mostly murder, but sometimes not. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode twelve. <laughs> Should have looked that up. Uh, mostly murder, but sometimes not. Uh, the podcast where we talk about mysteries that are fictional, um, but might be based on a true story. One well, name is Katie. And with me, I have Carrie and Maddie and Mac. All right. So for this episode, there is a slight miscommunication because we're really good at everything. And two of us actually prepared to host. So I'm going to do most of the hosting, but I'm going to allow Mac to do the summary. So today we're going to talk about. And it's actually the second time we are talking about Hitchcock, but it probably won't be the last. But we're going to talk about his classic 1954 film, Rear Window. Mac, why don't you give a quick synopsis, quick synopsis of the movie. I, I like practice doing the synopsis in the car on the way here, you guys. I was real excited. I, mean, <laughs> I practice synopses too. I was real when sure. have I ever been the one that runs long? Okay. I get the most amount of... Never mind. Okay. All right. So, the movie begins with world-famous photographer L.B. Jeffries stuck in a wheelchair with a broken leg with nothing to do but watch the rest of the neighbors in his apartment block as they go through their daily lives with occasional visits from his insurance company nurse Stella and fashion mogul girlfriend Lisa Fremont. Jeffries is determined to get the cast off his leg and get back out into his dangerous job despite Stella's insistence that he settle down with Lisa. However, Jeffrey's night of peace and quiet is interrupted by a scream, and over the next few nights, he becomes convinced that one of his neighbors, Lars Thorwald, has killed his wife and intends to cover it up. 
Despite setbacks such as his detective friend Doyle's inability to look into it without a warrant, and evidence stacking up that Thorwald's wife is actually alive and well at a resort upstate, Jeffries and Lisa persist in their investigation. Lisa breaks into Thorwald's apartment and finds the wife's wedding ring, proving she wasn't at the resort, but almost dies when Thorwald arrives early and attacks her. The police arrive at the last minute and arrest Lisa for breaking and entering, while Thorwald notices the wheelchair Jeffries, leading to a tense final scene, where Thorwald dangles Jeffries from a window, gets tackled by the police, and Jeffries wakes up happily the next morning after having fallen and has a second broken leg. Very, very nice. Thanks, Mac. That was Good probably a, a little bit better than mine, although mine would have had a little bit more flavor. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're not allowed y'all to want use flavor. That. Am I allowed to say that? What? Do you need to cut flavor Flav's name out? <laughs> I don't you think so. You can say flavor, you can't say flavor. That's his name, though. Uh, remember that time Uncle Greg met Flavor Flav in Vegas? What? what? He's I never do not! told you the story? What? He's only told you. Oh. Wait, hold up. Save save this story for our soon-to-be Flava Flav podcast. <laughs> Let's get on with the murder. Okay. What do you mean? <laughs> um, okay, so... I got it out. Real quick, I have some fun facts to share with you guys. I'm real excited. Okay. These are just the initial... If they're not about Flava Flav, I don't want any part of them. <laughs> well, they're all about Flava I saw Flav. him. So you're right? What? Like, Uncle Greg, didn't he just, like, see him on the street and, like, take a picture? I think, I don't remember. He was, like, at a conference. I'll let him tell you the story because I don't remember it. I just remember that he'd met him and I thought that was funny. Hmm. Oh, well, I will not run. <laughs> <laughs> you... Fun fact number one. Flava Flay played Lisa Fremont. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he was the understudy. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. remake Weird Window. Can you imagine? Um, well, they did. It's called Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf. Well, no, Shia they LaBeouf. also did. It's called a made-for-TV movie with Christopher Reeve that came out in the late 90s. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Is the exact reaction you should have. Anyway. Fun facts. Now, I'm not going to go over everything because it'll probably come up later concerning the sets and the music and stuff. But three things that I thought were really interesting. Do you guys know about the costume designer Edith Head? She did. I no. feel like you have to have told us about her in the past. I and might I, not have, but she sounds do you familiar. Know the Incredibles. Yeah, Edna Mode is based on Edith Head. Look, like she was short. She had that crazy bob. She had giant glasses, and she was a brilliant costume designer. And she designed these costumes. Obviously, most of the attention to costuming was done on Grace Kelly because it's um, Grace Kelly. Like, yes. Just amazing. Um, it's gorgeous. Oh my god, I know. We'll get into it later. But she's, she's the costume director. Second thing, one of the inspirations for this film was a short story, like a lot of Hitchcock stuff. But one of the other ones was the story of Dr. Crippen, the actual true life murderer. I don't know if you guys have heard about him. He was a doctor in England. He was actually American, which I didn't know until I was like researching this. But he was living in England. American doctor in England. Yeah. Murderer. It's like an American werewolf in London. <laughs> I knew you were going to say I that. I agree. But he, he killed his wife, right? And then he 
probably buried her in the basement, although there's some contention and we'll get into that in a second. But he kills his wife and then he starts going out in the town with his secretary and he tells everyone that his wife is like back in the States. So don't worry about it. So although recently they actually did some DNA testing on the, cause when the police investigated him, he did get convicted. And I think he, I can't remember if he got like murdered or something or the death penalty for killing his wife, but they found a torso in his basement. And it was, like, degraded enough that they couldn't tell at the time, even if it was anyone, but, like, everyone was like, it's obviously your wife. But they did some DNA testing within the past, like, 20 years, and it turns out that Torso was probably a man. What? Yeah. So he's just a run-of-the-mill murderer and not a <laughs> wife murderer? He's probably also a wife murderer. That's kind of beside the point. Yeah. But Hitchcock read the story and thought that was interesting, so that's where the whole, thar- like... Thornwald saying, my wife is out in the country thing. And finally, this is going to tie into episode five, Rebecca, because we all know Rebecca is directed by Hitchcock. And Carrie, you mentioned something about David O. Selznick, who was the producer on that movie. Yes, I was just editing that, so I know a lot about it. Exactly as much as I did before. (laughs) Hitchcock did not get along with him, and I didn't realize... So he so much didn't get along with him that he like tried to separate himself from the movie Rebecca as much as possible. So he would like Hitchcock did or Selnick Hitchcock because Selnick like changed so many of his things. He did. It was his first like yeah. So Hitchcock was like fuck you guy. So he's thinking about this because Rebecca came out when in the early forties. So thirty nine. Yeah. Yeah. So this is about forty. Fourteen years later. He specifically asks Edith Head to design Lars Thornwald's, like, look to look exactly like David O. Selznick. Oh, my God. He gets the exact same glasses, Ah. the exact same hair color, the exact same kind of curliness. He tells the actor to, like, study the guy. So he makes the bad guy in Rear Window be basically... David O. Selznick, because he hates him that much. You know? Wow, how petty is that? I was really wondering about that, because, like, the guy's hair has, like, mega powder in it, and I was like, why does he have to have gray hair? Because, like, he would be equally as murderous with brown hair, you know? Because it looked really fake. Oh, wow. Oh, 100%. Actually, so did Jimmy Stewart. Did you notice that? His hair looked looked too silver, almost. I did not. And I don't know if that's the color treatment or not. I think it's the color treatment. I don't know if it was, like, it looked fake, but it did look very silver. Well, it might have been. I thought it might have been, like, the movie, you know, the, the film. But I even noticed it. So, full disclosure, we've all seen this movie before. Um. Yes. One time. And actually. I mean, it's Rear Window. The last time I saw Rear Window. Uh, I was on 70mm film at the Prince Charles Cinema in London, which was amazing to see because they have an upstairs small theater, and when you're watching it on film, it, like, just adds to the, I don't know, magic of it or something. That's the experience, man. But in that film, still, I remember thinking that Jimmy Stewart's hair just seemed, like, too, like, it looked almost like he had silver paint on it in parts. 
I did not have that impression. I got that impression, but I kind of liked it. I'm not saying I didn't like it. It was just, like, odd to me. Well, he's described at one point as a young man, and I was like, no. I know. <laughs> I I specifically highlighted, did that woman just call Jimmy Stewart young man? Yeah, I wrote, he is not a young man. <laughs> Underlined. How old was he when he, uh, when he filmed this? 35. Um, old enough to have weirdly hairy hands. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that, but like right along, he's got old man hair. I did on the not side notice that. I did not realize that. Well, because like a... you're not usually looking at his hands, but I've seen this movie probably like four times now, so mm-hmm. I was like really looking at it rather than just enjoying the like suspense. I was focused on. Uh... Embedding myself into the movie experience and just letting it wash over me the way that it was supposed to. I don't do things like examine Hunter. Well, good for you. Stella, the person side of the the movie, warned him about becoming a lonesome, bitter old man, and I got some George Bailey vibes going on. George Bailey. But do you think it's because we just watch It's a Wonderful Life every single year? And that's just... Uh, yeah, and it's embedded like, in memory. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, Why don't go, Bedford Falls? So he was born in 1908. So yeah, he would have been 40... 50? Oh, 1908. 1908. And this was filmed in 54. 46? No. 18, 46. 48. Yeah. 46. Yep. He's not that old. I want a six. I guess. He's not a young man, though. 46 is kind of old for the 50s. Yeah, I guess. 40 now is the new... I mean, you're only, what, three years away from death? Whatever that is. 40 is the new 30. Anyway. Yeah. He's not a young man. We're taking a lot of issue over that one line. That's what you do when you podcast. But there's uh, a lot more other lines (laughs) that, you know... Oh, I got some lines. We should have issue with. We got some lines. We got some lines for you. (laughs) Hit us, Maddie. Hit me with the lines. Throw them at me. Um, Throwing stars. What's his name? Jeff tells um, Lisa to shut up. Shut up. up. When she's like, um, I want to have a future with you, and like this is what I want. He's just like, shut up. Shut up. I don't care what you want from the future. I was real mad. And, uh, yeah. That's not even the... I don't even think he treated woman the worst in that movie. I think that goes to Doyle. Doyle sucks. Doyle sucks. Doyle's like, the Doyle's worst. Doyle's okay, but Doyle sucks. Like, no. yep. Your female intuition, blah blah blah. Like, you. I don't know how many years I spent tracking down, wasting time. You know, weeds based on a female intuition. Oh my god, both of you need to stop talking at the same time. <laughs> Matt was talking. I think we're both presenting very valid points. <laughs> Matt was just going brr, brr, brr. Yes, oh and it was a valid point. That's basically well, that's what I you hear know. when Doyle speaks. What is wrong with Jimmy Stewart that he doesn't want to be with Grace fucking Kelly? I think he doesn't have a problem with her. It's a problem with himself. Losing his bachelor. He doesn't Ooh. feel like he's good enough. So let's talk about. Could be that. We're gonna get into this a little bit, you guys. Because Are we? 
Yeah. Let's dig in. Is it voyeurism? It's about, yes. What? <laughs> it's about voyeurism. I'm not joking. So this guy oh, is yeah. feeling kind of trapped in this room, in this life, and he's freaking out because he's like, Stella's telling me to get married, and then fucking Grace Kelly is just this perfect woman, like too perfect telling me to get married. So he's usually, he's using his like, this movie has these themes of voyeurism and guilt and like weird relationships and sex. And the reason he's looking out and looking at all these different kind of subplots is to just completely escape his own life because he's like, I don't fucking want to deal with this. I'm just going to stare at Miss Torso. Mm-hmm. Like, Miss Torso is the name of the blonde ballerina across the way in the upstairs. Should we go through? Like, I was just going to say the list of the neighbors just kind of give people a frame the of the cast reference. of characters. So if you start on the okay, when the movie opens. It's a fantastic tracking shot because it's almost set up like a play. You know, that was my first line. Would this work as a play? I had the same thought. (laughs) They had a fantastic explanation with it just being hot out, though, and that's why everybody's windows were open. I did write that down. Like, did everyone just keep their windows open all all the time? But I guess... Yeah, no AC. No, it was like 95 degrees. Yeah, but see that tracking shot. So Hitchcock started, like doing silent film and his whole thing, which I think is really fascinating. You should be able to watch a film without the dialogue and still understand the basic tenets of what's happening. And he didn't really like a lot of movies at the time that were just people talking heads to each other. So the whole beginning of this film, it's exactly right. Carrie is like a theater play because it's these three curtains and this like film. It's almost like a film strip because he's got his two window bars there and it tracks over the apartments, and then it tracks over his apartment. You see him sleeping in a wheelchair. You see a broken camera. It pans up to the picture he took in the middle of the Indy Raceway that where he broke his leg. You mm-hmm. see the thermometer. I'm bring up a point about that later. Yeah, like so, you immediately set up. You don't need to have any dialogue to know exactly what's happening right now. It's hot. Scars broken his leg. Yeah, he's a photographer, and the camera is broken and you know all that jazz and photoshop technology was not very advanced in the 40s so that race car photo almost looked comedically like weirdly cut yeah together. it definitely it definitely did yeah it did but you know photoshop was probably i don't know how photographs work actually but i just pictured a literal cut and paste they did that's I... how they did double exposure and made like ghost photos I felt yeah. bad because I, I felt like there was a bit of a twinge of comedy because we went immediately from a, a photo of a race car going out of control to just like a, a guy with a broken leg. Like if this was in a cartoon panel, you'd, you'd chuckle a little. But Mac, that's Hitchcock's whole thing is I wrote it down. So I might have watched the documentary that's on the DVD after I watched the movie. Okay, <laughs> but... One of the things, even though Hitchcock definitely has issues, one of the things I admire about him is that he he's often telling stories about the darkest elements of humanity, but he uses humor to give you a break. And I think this movie is a pretty good example of that because of all of the little subplots. Almost all of them are humorous, except for little moments. Carry your face. So, are you thinking about okay. that dog? So no. Well, oh. Don't. 
Don't get me started on that. No, I'm thinking of so Miss Lonely Heart. a director who like, had some forward-thinking ideas, but eventually failed at them, who was mostly doing dark stuff highlighted with humor? Um, yeah. Is he the 1940s equivalent of Joss Whedon? Uh, no. No. I mean, <laughs> actually. Anyway. Um... Yeah, no, Miss Lonely Hurts was not, like, a light, fun story. It was the sad, lonely woman who was trying to reach out to people and then almost kills herself. She got a happy ending with Maestro. With the, the songwriter. songwriter. All the... Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, do you want me to do it? Because you guys keep getting distracted. Yeah. Yes, Carrie, nobody speak over okay. the left. Okay, so, from the left, there's a woman speaking Spanish with a bird... And then there's a woman with a hearing aid, just like David Lynch's. What? You forgot about the newlyweds. They haven't, they were not there in the opening shot. Oh, I thought, sorry. I thought we were just talking about all the subplots. I mean, yeah, you remember when Max said, don't interrupt, Carrie. (laughs) I'm really good at following directions. Go, Carrie. Okay. And then, so then there was like a, an older woman with a hearing aid like David Lynch's in Twin Peaks. And, uh, she's got like short red hair. I don't know if that matters. And then there's Miss Torso, who is a ballerina. Um, and then there's, uh, like three levels. There's, um, Miss Lonely Hearts. Then there's the middle, which is the Thorwalds. And then on the top, there's, like, a married couple who sleep on their balcony because it's really hot out. And then they have a dog. And then um, somewhere to the right, I believe, uh, there's the songwriter guy who has, like, a gorgeous studio apartment with, like, the best windows ever. Yeah, like, that's a fucking studio apartment. Like, not fair. Um like, I want to move to Greenwich now. And then eventually there's a newlywed couple that comes in to the far left. And they're kind of like show like shoving marriage in Jimmy Stewart's face. Like, look at this. Look how cute they are. He carries her across the threshold. Blah, blah, blah. And then later, the girl, like, he hears the, the wife, like, calling the husband's name. The husband's, like, trying to have a cigarette. And then Jimmy Stewart's like, ha! That's what happens. Yeah. Is that everybody? Um, I think you about hit the nail on the That's head. everyone who t- kind of... What about the artist? Or is she the hearing aid lady? She's the oh, yeah. Lady. She's the sculptor. I forgot lady. she does. She's the sculptor. Yeah, I didn't notice her hearing aid. The, yes. Well, there was that part with the, like, the Spanish lady who was like, good morning. And then she had to like turn up her hearing aid. Which she had nope, turned. Nope, did not notice that at all. <laughs> yeah. That lady's chill. There was a, I think it's a man and a woman and a child in the one section. Like, so you have the songwriter on the right, and then there's, like, the taller. There's, like, a weird yes, yeah. turret type. But he never really looks at them, and they don't have a subplot other than no. just seeing them. Yeah. They're, they're, they would be like us. Like, we'd be too boring to watch. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah that um, was one question that I was going to bring up. What do you think your name would be if you were one of the neighbors? Couch Potato. Literally. Weirdo. <laughs> Just spends all her time on her phone at home. I would, well. You do stuff. I cross-stitch, so I'd just be like, the stitcher. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have, like, open, like, windows. Like, I don't have curtains on one side of my house, so 
I kind of have a rear window set up. Like, there's three windows uh, in the three rooms that are downstairs, and, like, none of them are covered up. And they there's, like, a house right there, and I'm like, well, my neighbors could probably see me. And, yeah, I feel it's kind of weirdly, like, stage-like, because, you know, yeah. Yeah. Think, like, what if someone's watching? I always think, I mean, we live in a fishbowl where I am, like, there's... It's a fishbowl that's facing the the middle of the woods. Like, there's nothing out there. Um, P.S., I was reading the other day on the couch, and then I thought I saw something move outside, and I literally gasped, because I thought I was (laughs) about to be murdered. Um, it was my foot moving in a reflection in the window. (laughs) 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 <laughs> but, like, I saw it out of the corner of my bad eye. And so, like, I was just like, oh, my God, there's movement outside. I'm about to be murdered. Or there's a skunk on our patio. Just I that. have, I mean, my, my apartment faces the street, like my room. Um, So I could never have windows open because I'm on the first floor. And, like, it's elevated a little bit. So you're kind of just a little bit above eye level. But, like, you can definitely see in the street could see in yeah so i actually just recently put like film over the windows that like is rainbow like reflective not like fuck it refracts light and turns it rainbow colored so like you i can see lights like outside but and then people can't really see in they can just tell like colors maybe because i like having my windows open i miss that from the house I don't like feeling yeah. like I'm in a cave. I think if some like guy from the 1950s looked into my house, he wouldn't understand what cosplaying is. <laughs> so he'd either call me prop boy or the trick-or-treater. He'd probably call the police on you. <laughs> Look, just because I have a bunch of masks and fake weapons and oh my god. Yeah, yeah. you would be the murderer. <laughs> the murderer. Like you're Thorwald. I would be Thorwald. No, because no. the whole thing with him is like he's. Oh God, I'm a producer from the forties. Sneaky and unobtrusive, and they're like, "Here's not a murderer. His wife was just in the country." Can I? Okay. What? We're gonna get into this like earlier than I wanted to, but when you guys watched this movie the first time, did you think that he was the murderer? Like, when did you go? Okay, he's definitely murdered his wife. I don't think I ever did. I think when I saw the sword. I the, think the when they had the phone call. Oh. Yeah, when, um, so... When he doesn't deny Jeff it. Jeff calls Thorwald to get him out of the apartment so that, um... I keep wanting to call her Grace Kelly, but so Lisa can go in and, like, snoop around. Um, and so he says... I know you killed your wife, and, um, or something like that, and he's like, meet me down at this hotel, and so Thorwald is like, I only have a hundred dollars, so that kind of says that he would be willing to pay, he doesn't flat out say, I didn't kill my wife, so he has something to worry about, you know? I agree. I revise my answer to that one. I think I still think it was when I saw a big knife. Well, see, the thing is, Mac, you see the big knife and you're like, oh, he definitely killed her. 
You see the garden, you're like, oh, he definitely killed her. You see the trunk wrapped in rope, you're like, oh, he definitely killed her. And he, like, he goes, I wrote down, so they were fighting. He went out three times on a rainy night. The trunk is wrapped in rope. You have the flower bed. You have the purse. You have, like, the, um, the wife is missing. And then the screaming and the crashing and whatever. However, somehow, the trunk got picked up and it had clothes in it. The wife sent a postcard, like, the, um, we, now this is the, this is interesting. The only thing that we as an audience see that Jimmy Stewart does not see is that black figure leaving Thorwald's apartment at six o'clock in the morning. And so, and it's a a woman shaped figure. Yeah. Thorwald and his wife, quote unquote. Right. So. Because of that, we spend the whole movie going like, I think Jimmy Stewart's kind of crazy because we know, quote unquote, that someone left his apartment at six in the morning with him. But I don't think I knew it until he showed up, until he like showed up in the apartment. And show up in the apartment as in like Jeff? Yes. Because if someone called me and was like, what did you do with the body? Meet me at this hotel. I'd probably go to the hotel and just be like, I didn't fucking kill her. No, I no. would not. Oh, that's very obvious. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's dumb. <laughs> you just I say probably... to them on the phone, hey, guess what? I didn't kill I didn't anyone. I didn't kill anybody. You're crazy. I'm not meeting you at a hotel. Uh, and um, I do remember, I, I think that's, it's been a while since I've seen it for the first time. And I think the first time that I watched it, I did, I was wavering. I was kind of on the fence when, um, even up to when he was, like, throwing Lisa around in the apartment. Because he didn't, like, after he, like, threw around a whole bunch, he just, like, held out his hand and was like, give me, and give me that. And then he, like, didn't really do anything well, he was, she was, like, on the couch, he was standing over her, he was in, like, a position of power, like, he could have done something. Then the police got there. Yeah. No, I mean, he could have done something, but I don't, I'm trying to remember, did he, when the police came in, was he, like, actively attacking her? Yes, he was. Oh, he was? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because remember, oh, yeah, yeah. was like, so I think there before were like... the, the fight even happened, he was like, hey, uh, police, there's a, a, a man beating up a woman at so-and-so apartment. Yep. Yeah. No, I... By the way... No, he said that even before, um... I... Why do I want to call him Humboldt now? What? Uh, what, what is his name? Jeffrey? Thorn- Thornwald. Thorn- Thorn- Thorwald. Thornwald. Yeah. Humboldt. <laughs> Uh, Thorwald. He called before Thorwald even walked in. Yes, accurate. I thought it was Thornwald. Thornwald. Thorwald. Thorwald? Thorwald. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. I yeah, wanted well, to call him Humboldt. he was him calling the <laughs> to tell them about Miss Lonely Heart. Well, Maddie said that, uh, he was on the phone. He was, like, already calling the police when Thorwald was attacked like before he even got there and i just wanted to make it clear that poor miss lonely hearts was about to kill herself and that's why he was like calling the police that's right which is just fantastic i forgot that's why he started calling yeah 
And then, like, they're really lucky that the songwriter guy was, like, playing his song and she stopped because otherwise somebody definitely would have died there. That's true. There was definitely this bit of, like, differentiation between tone and what was actually happening because the music that we were hearing was that smooth, mellow jazz music that did stop Miss Lonely Hearts from killing herself. But also we're watching Thorwald attack Lisa during this thing. I wouldn't call it jazz. I was I mean, just it's, <laughs> What are you going to call it, then? I mean, piano. 1950s lounge music? Yeah. Sure, that. That's even less appropriate for a murder scene. You know, yeah. I feel like it's in that category, usually. Like, it was... That'd be like watching Saw movies, but the entire soundtrack is just tiptoe through the tulips by Tiny Tim. Maybe not exactly to that, you know, contrast, but what I feel there's like... definitely, like, there's the attacking going on, there's the really sad, you know, this woman um, okay. is so desperate that she's, like, at the end of her rope and she's about to kill herself. And, and then, there's Jimmy Stewart and Stella who can't do anything about the attack. And they're just, like, incredibly tense. And then this, like, nice, kind of, like... Beautiful music is over the whole scene. Yes. Now that we're here, let's talk about the soundtrack. I loved it. Amazing. Yeah. Because it was almost all incidental. Yeah. I didn't realize, um, I don't think I noticed it the first time I watched it, but the sound design really makes this movie. It really, like, it it puts you where, so, the the sound design and the set design. Okay. Let's no. The sound okay. design. Sorry. Yes. The, the sound design. I'm not saying no, maybe not the set design. The sound design and the cinematography really make this movie because I think they the set design too basically put you in Jeff's position. Yes. I mean, one thing we haven't talked about yet is literally every single thing in this movie is either shot in Jeff's apartment or from Jeff's apartment, except for the very, very, very end, which is just when Jeff is like hanging out the window, we see that the facade of his building. But because of that, you as a viewer feel like you are the voyeur on this thing, right? Yeah. Like you're trapped in the room. So the fact that anytime you hear music, it's either the songwriter playing the piano or it's someone playing the radio or it's somebody whistling or humming, like almost all of the music in the film, except for the beginning titles and end titles, are incidental music in this courtyard. They're really lucky that songwriter lived there. <laughs> yeah, they really are. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're lucky, like, I don't know, some radio DJ didn't work there because otherwise it mostly just be fart sounds and sexual references. Yep. I don't know if that would have been the case in this. <laughs> In the 50s? Not in 54. Fine. Ye olde fart sounds and ye olde fart references. <laughs> Thanks. No sex references? Just sounds and references <laughs> to farts? <laughs> um, oh my god. Um, but, about farts. I, no, I have a point to make. Um, like, not just the music. The the actual, like, sound design was good, too, because... Like the the children playing on the street, the horns honking, the sirens all the time. I that literally sounds like out my window. Like you could 
you could hear it on some of the tracks that we record, like cars going by, like, vroom, like I have a tiny penis. <laughs> I love that scene that a guy just came by, yeah, and said, tiny "That's penis. what it means." I thought that's what you meant. Like you, that was one of the delivery guys, right? In rear window somewhere, and I was like, <laughs> "Wow, that's a hidden, you know, Easter egg." <laughs> So you see, like, Hitchcock's silhouette up in the top right window, and at the bottom right, there's just a dude going, I have a tiny penis. (laughs) No, but just when people are jackasses and drive like idiots. That's what it means. But yeah, no, so that's That's literally what it sounds like out my street. I live on a busy street. So I thought, I really appreciated that. Yeah. And what I wanted to expand on, so that that you, you feel like you're almost a voyeur and you're in Jeff's apartment. Which makes it terrifying when you're, he's using the binoculars to look at Thornwald and then Thornwald turns oh. and looks right at you. Like, you should see my notes. Yeah, that for one these moment moments. when it's just like those baby blue eyes when connecting. I, when we, I watch this, so I watch this in a theater with people, which always like changes the experience. Yeah. Um, everyone in that theater gasped because they were like, fuck! Like, he saw us. He could see me. Until we were like, oh, but this is a movie. <laughs> well, like, during more, the whole movie, even... you don't really see his eyes until that moment. Like, he's also, like, he's, I think, a floor below. So you kind of see him from above, and you see him with a he's hat on. Yeah. You don't, like, see them, you know, straight on. So it's just so jarring to be like, oh! Yeah. He has a really What's dumb hat, face? too. He does have a dumb I think it's because he's a 1950s salesman. I think it's because that's I what David so. Selznick wore. No, it's like a straw hat. Like, it's really dumb. Dr. X, get out of here. Ugh. Okay, so... Yeah, so... Yeah. That part when he, um... It kills me when Jeff is on the phone with Thorwald. Or, well, first he's on the phone with Dor- uh, Doyle. And then... Hangs up with Doyle, and then somebody calls him back, and um, hey, he's Thor- like, "Hey, I think Thorwald's on his way." Yeah, it was Thorwald, <laughs> and he realized, and I said, Urgh! "When he gives away that it's watching Thorwald, and then Thorwald comes to his door." Ah! Question: Who didn't lock the door on their way out? Someone dumb. No, Stella. No, Stella, like, was running to do something, right? She went down to leave the police. Oh, no, she went down. They were breaking into the apartment. Or no, they went down to go dig up the flowers, and then she broke into the apartment. That's what was going on. Yeah, Lisa. No, but then Stella came back and was watching with them. Oh, that's true. Yeah. What was she doing? Where'd she go? Oh, she was bringing the bail money to um, get Lisa out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so she was doing something like very important and she's like, Oh, I gotta go and then doesn't lock the door behind her. Oh my god. But that whole just... thing was and so like, tense. I know. Oh my god. Can I and say he can't get to the door because there's stairs and he's in the wheelchair. I think one of the best shots of this movie is when he turns around in his wheelchair because it's really slow and Jimmy Stewart's head stays like in one place in the entire thing like so he turns his head and then the wheelchair spins like around him until he like can face the door and then you know his 
head is aligned with his body again. But like that whole thing, it was so still and like his, his head just stayed in one place. It was very slow and tense. Yeah. And, <gasps> There's no, and one yeah. of the most Hitchcockian things I've ever seen was that final scene when the only weapon he had was the flash on his old timey 1950s camera. Oh, yeah. And so on one hand, if, like it's unrealistic because if you're a murderer and somebody flashes you in the eyes one time with a camera, obviously you just do this and walk towards them. <laughs> but still, it's so cinematic for just for like four flashes. Listener. To yeah, this is a podcast, Mac. You cover your eyes and walk towards them. What? Yes. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, sorry. But it's still like it's very cinematic to like flash at the killer four times and cause the entire screen to go red and slowly grade out back to normal as the killer gets slowly and slowly closer to you. That's, that is cinematic history in the making right there is adding that kind of tension and suspense. Plus there wasn't music at that time. And it was yeah. really just yeah. like... It was just like, oh God. You're just... Oh God. Imagine, like, you're an, basically an invalid, and you know a murderer is walking up the stairs, like, and he's hearing those fucking footsteps, and you're just like... Yeah. Uh... Like, all of my notes are in caps, and I'm like, oh my God! <laughs> like, I know what happens, I think, but it is terrifying. Yeah, I think from the moment when... Lisa's in Thorwald's apartment. Like you're like I don't think you get a full breath until the movie ends. Until the very very end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're just like <laughs> Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> let's yeah. finally talk about the set. Okay. So quick fun story. This is one set obviously. And the they were the studio where they built this had basement storage of furniture, and somehow Hitchcock convinced him to complete to cut out the floor. So Jimmy Stewart's apartment is actually the ground floor of this studio, and everything below is a guys are ridiculous. <laughs> They're making face at me. Everything below Jimmy Stewart's apartment is actually the basement of the studio that they had like retrofitted. So he built 31 different apartments, although only the ones you see in two have been furnished. And every time they're shooting, especially if they're shooting Jimmy Stewart out, like facing out the window, all of the actors have to be there and they have to be on set and just be like living lives. So they actually all had earpieces, which was kind of cool. And Hitchcock would like give them direction through these earpieces. So like, even though he's filming like Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly, because the shots out the window, he'll be like, tell Miss Lonely Hearts to do this and Miss Torso to do this and blah, blah, blah. So like when it started raining that one time with that couple of mattress on the fire hmm. escape, yep. he told the wife to take the mattress one way. And he told the husband to take the mattress the other way. And he <laughs> didn't tell the, each one that he told them the wrong thing just to make them like fight each other and then make it more real. Which is, like, the most tame version of Hitchcock fucking with his actors in order to, like, make a good performance. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to enjoy his movies, don't look don't look up the behind-the-scenes things of the birds. No. Mm -mm. But anyway, someone pointed out it's basically Hitchcock with a dollhouse, which I think is very apt because he's oh. kind of, yeah, like, 
creating these little vignettes of people. So like when they were doing, they were casting Miss Torso, that girl is 17 years old. What? What? Her name is Georgiana Darcy. Oh. No joke. What? Yeah. For real. Oh no. But he wanted to cast someone who was- Shout out Austin fans! (laughs) (laughs) He wanted to cast someone who was not- a ballerina, but wanted to be, and wanted to cast... He didn't choreograph anything. They made all these girls just make up their own dances, and she's the one who made up dances the best, and that's how she got the role. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. But the set is clearly, like, a huge, iconic part of this movie. The set and the lighting. I like, loved it. Oh, oh god, yeah. the lighting. Oh. Dude, oh. when Thorwald walked into the apartment and all you could see was his eyes. Freaking god! His pipe, the lighting, yeah, the and cigarette. You can see like his pipe in the darkness. Yeah, just that one. Just the burning embers, yes. and just like lighting the set for day and for night. And they had these like weird preset things, so they could literally like flip a thing and it would switch, which is kind of crazy. And like the when Grace Kelly is over the first time, and that orange sky behind them is gorgeous. Yeah. I'll post a picture on our Twitter. Wait, so they had lights for like flip this at six o'clock and flip this for seven o'clock and flip this for eight o'clock. That kind of situation? No. No, it was more just like here's a general daytime and here's a general nighttime, and then when they wanted to do something special, they would obviously like do something special, but Yeah, for like the rainstorm and sunsets and Yeah. Um, like that kind of twilight time when the big craziness goes down. Right. But I think it says something because Hitchcock, like, did, used to do scenic design too, and hmm. he's a very visual storyteller. And I think this movie makes that very clear. Yes, it because does. you barely hear any dialogue from any of the people in those other apartments, but you know exactly what's going on in them. Yeah, I mean, there the stuff that you hear is very purposeful. True. Mm-hmm. Like, but that's what I mean, you know. Yeah. I get your point, is what I meant to say. I just really like oh, yeah. the set. Um, yeah, and Grace Kelly's costumes were fantastic. Um, oh, I God. can't even yeah, like her weird adventurer get up at the end of the movie. I loved it. Yeah, and it was very iconic because you were. It's panning over her. First of all, I love that she's just lounging on this thing all the time. Like mm-hmm. seeing someone as beautiful. I do really like that about this movie is like, she's obviously gorgeous and poised or whatever. And this movie makes her seem kind of like that, but also human. Like she's not caring as much about that PS $1,100 dress in 1954. Oh my God. What the H I would not spend that much on a dress now if I was getting married. No. (laughs) Like there are cooler things to do with $1,100 than to buy a dress, but that is a fucking great dress. Yeah, it was gorgeous. But yeah, you're saying the outfit at the end, panning, she's finally, she's not wearing heels. She's wearing pants. Capris. Capris. It was like an adventure shirt. I like it. Which actually looked a lot like the outfit you wore last week when you were backpacking, Maddie. (laughs) It did. Like legit. Minus the cargo pants, but. Her most uh, iconic look for me was that yellow dress. Like the yellow floral dress. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, that's the one that she's wearing when, like, the 
you know, the crazy intense scene goes on. God. Mm, I still think the most iconic is the first dress. The black and white one. The black and white one. Because it's so poofy. It's poofy and it's just, a, it's so, well, those freaking like, Hollywood PhD men, P.S. in this documentary I watched was almost all, like, men talking about film history and never mentioning the dark side of Hitchcock. Oh. But anyway, they did talk about that. It was on a Hitchcock DVD, though, so I don't think that they would. <laughs> That's true. They're not going to talk bad about the dude. They might now. Um, oh, they do now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Can I say one thing before we get off of costume? No, I wasn't going to be done with costume. Oh, continue, please. Oh, I was done with costume. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Did anybody get distracted from that one scene? She had massive, like, beaded, yes! like, jewelry that kept getting in the mic. Yeah, it reminded like, me of that scene from so many bracelets. from uh, dance, singing in the rain when, like, the one woman just kept rattling <laughs> her pearls into the microphone. Yeah, it reminded me of that bracelet from Criminal Minds. I <laughs> I was like, yeah. how do you put on your gloves, girlfriend? Noticed that at all. I don't know if she wears gloves with those bracelets. No, she puts I know on her she gloves. she does with the other one. She puts on her glove and it's just, just like really kind of awkward looking when you're paying attention to it. Yeah. But yeah, that guy did write it down. What did I, where did I write that? I don't know. I really oh, liked Grace bracelet. Kelly in this. Yeah. The first, oh, the thing I was going to talk about is one of the iconic shots from this movie that these dudes talk about is that first shot of Grace Kelly because it's like everything behind her is faded and it's like zooming in on her a little bit when she's leaning over. And then there's a like slow motion kiss. Yeah. Like that's the first time you see her. And that's just like such a beautiful shot to be fair. Like gorgeous. It is. In that I mean, dress. She Fantastic. is beautiful. But that's sure. another thing I liked about her character is like that wasn't everything. Yeah. You know, she had depth. Yeah. She was three-dimensional. She's very aware of, like... I liked her line about how woman's hardest job is juggling wolves. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when it's, like, in connection with this other woman that she's looking at across the way that has to deal with three dudes who are constantly hitting on her. And her feminine intuition. And I like that her and... uh, I like when her and Stella just team up. (laughs) Yeah. And it was, like, her... And it was like her contributions and knowledge of fashion that actually helped solve the case. She did more to solve this than Doyle did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That dude just checked a case. Although, can exactly. I ask you guys? What? All, all three of you, really. Do you keep your handbag sitting on your bed, like, within reach? No. Oh, absolutely. Uh, my backpack is, like, on the floor next to my bed. I usually chuck it under my bed. Although my See, room is anymore. also very small. <laughs> I do keep I do keep my makeup uh, within reach, but that's just because my room is small and everything is within reach. Yeah. I was like, the idea that I would have any one spot for <laughs> any one item in my room is laughable. That's true. Agreed. I've seen her room, and I can confirm that message. We call Maddie a tornado after she comes home because okay, everything is I'm everywhere. Okay, I'm not that bad. 
Um, I would say high school Maddie would be that bad. Okay, like we've found, like, trails of your things just, like, leading up to your bedroom. I <laughs> That's true, but when I leave, I take those trails back. No. So Wait, no, you should call her the lizard then, because she keeps shedding her skin. Gross. When Maddie and Ew. I are both at our parents' house, like, for Christmas or whatever, we share a room. And every time she leaves, I usually have to just pick up all her stuff and throw it in the closet for her to deal with next time. <laughs> what? I do! You I always leave clothes everywhere, because you never bring clothes home, and then you have to throw everything out of the closet to figure out what you've actually left at our parents' house that you could wear. Ironically, I people like are now getting a window into our lives. that I just keep leaving out every time. Nice, Mac. It's probably the same one. The rear window was us! <gasps> I was just going <laughs> to talk about how the fact... I wrote down subjective point of view... But we already talked about how the fact that, like, it's us watching the, like, other thing. It's like a, I don't know. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the neighbors? Yeah. Just kind of, like, how we felt about each, like, each of their lives? Sure. Go for the it. newlyweds were hilarious. Well, let Max start. He brought it up. Well, I just wanted to, I wanted to point out, there were three things that we knew, basically, about Miss Lonely Hearts. Hmm. One, she was very lonely. Two, she was very sad. Three, when she finally does take a date home and he tries to take advantage of her, she is not taking any of that shit. No. Stops doing the face, sends her. She probably has a drinking problem. Oh, definitely has a drinking problem. She definitely, oh yeah. Every night, uh, oh yeah, this is one of the sadder points of the film, is that every night she sets out two glasses of wine, pretends to have a date with somebody else, and then drinks them both. Does she do that every night? No. She does that on nights when she feels like she needs to pretend to it's have a, a date. It's a routine. I, I mean, thought... she got drunk and then went out to that restaurant. Yeah. I initially thought that she was a widow, and she was, like, pretending her husband was still alive. Oh, that's almost sadder. Oh, even sadder is that like that one scene where she's getting ready for a date, and she puts on her glasses to oh, do her makeup, yeah. and then you realize she doesn't wear her glasses normally because she thinks it will make her less attractive. Oh, well, the nineteen fifties that oh. was considered less attractive. I used to do that. Even today, there's a few like. You used to not wear glasses because you didn't think they were attractive. Like at Danielle's bridal shower, I wasn't wearing my glasses, and then I put them on later and was like helping clean up. And then one of the guests saw me because there was like a bar attached to this place, and she was like, "I love your glasses." I was like, "Thanks." She was like, "Did you just put them on?" I was like, "Yeah, vanity." And she was like, "Oh." Okay. I had to ask Mary, because I was in her wedding, like, I, like, never not wear my glasses. I wear them all the time. Just because when I don't, now it looks weird, because I've worn glasses for ten years now, or whatever. Yeah, you I wear glasses yeah. to see. Also, I need them to see. <laughs> so I was like, hey, Mary, is it cool if I wear my glasses in your wedding? She was like, I don't care. Do whatever you want. <laughs> I was like, thank you. But, like, there it's are some situations people like who, like, this that make me don't want you to wear like I don't know. I didn't wear mine. It's situations like this that validate Clark Kent to me. That I looked so different without glasses. I would definitely yeah. still be able to tell that's Katie, though. I have a very iconic shape, Mac. What if she styles her hair differently? If I wear a different like, wig, you mean if she has 
like somehow a single like, curl down the middle of her forehead. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just oh. it up. Although, it, considering Katie has long hair, it'll have to be like a full face, like curl going like a down. Curly fry curl. Just I just watched the Adam Sandler. That's her superhero name. Curly fry. Curly fry. Curly. Oh my gosh! I have crazy curly hair, and I can electrocute people. Done. Anyway, now, curly now fry. Now you're just. Now you're just. Those superheroes that shouts my own name before I do anything. <laughs> it sounded like you were ordering her to do it. Like you've been. Well, it's your, it's your name, and also it you can be like a verb, you know. Fry. Curly fry. <laughs> but you'd be referring to yourself, so it'd be like <laughs> Katie Punch. <laughs> Hulk smash. What was, yes. What's her name? Lucy like, punch? If every time Iron Fist cool punched name. somebody, he said Iron Fist. That would be dumb. All right. It Mac. would be. I'm describing this situation right now. <laughs> Mac, continue with your neighbor assessment. Yes. I think he just right. wanted to get so, that one point in. No, no, no. Oh, I had oh he's got more. <sighs> okay. I had a difficult time getting a read on, let's just call him Maestro. Oh, the, the songwriter. songwriter? Is he unhappy in his life? So the songwriter is not that happy because he's living in a studio apartment in Greenwich Village, even though it's fucking an amazing apartment with fantastic windows. But yeah, he has like these artsy friends. And I think eventually at the end, he does become successful because he says he cut a record or whatever. Well, he's talking to Miss Lonely Hearts, and I'm so excited they end up together. I know. They're so yeah, cute. But I have forgotten that they got together in the beginning, and I was like, oh man, those two should totally get together in my head. <laughs> I forgot they got and then I you forgot remember- they got together oh, yeah. until I saw her stop trying to kill herself or like not drink like take those pills until that yes. moment. She hears the song that he wrote. Yeah. A haunting melody, and then puts the pills down and listens. It's beautiful. Um, I really liked that Miss Torso had somebody. Yeah. And that he yeah. was basically like... A short little um, nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say that the dude with glasses from Ghostbusters. Was, what's that comedian's Rick name? Yeah, yeah. He does look like Rick Moranis, actually, now that I think about it. Right? Good point. Right? I like that in the very beginning, I like that she's, like, constantly just eating, like, toast or, like, that turkey leg in the beginning. Like, what are you doing? I do not remember the turkey leg. She's, like, dancing and eating turkey. Like, a giant turkey leg. (laughs) And when you first see her, she's, like... I mean, she's got her bare midriff and she's, like, doing her little dance thing and then she's, like, eating toast and then she, like, grabs a turkey leg and like eats it and you're just like who are you wasn't she topless the first time we saw she her? dropped her she top like taking... facing away from us ah. yeah and then i had to bend down and get it yeah Ugh. can i can i say i don't i don't know if we're done with all the people yet but the true tragedy of this movie was the dog dying Oh god. A dog died in the middle of the movie because it was digging in a garden that Thorwald was hiding a piece of evidence in. Now you're all cut up. It was not okay. I It was not okay. Um ugly cried for like a second. Yeah. 
I actually didn't was... until I saw yeah. them pull the dog back up. Yeah. Using their basket conveyor from the third floor balcony. No. I didn't until I saw Miss Lonely Hearts, like, making sure the dog got into the basket. Yeah. Also, how did she know? Because that's like two degrees of sadness. And that's one of the things they wanted to talk about because, or like someone in that documentary talked about how that's the moment, that's the most important moment of the movie because it's a common, it's a commentary on how all these people are living within these tight confines of each other. They don't talk to each other. They don't see each other. And they were like, it's kind of talking about our metaphor of the isolation of society, which is like very highfalutin speak from film majors. But also they have a point. And she had a point with that whole speech, like to her neighbors. Like, yeah, I don't know anyone who lives in my building. Actually, no, that's not true. There were, the fire alarm was like super sensitive. And so we like all got like kicked out of the building like three nights in a row or something. So I met I've been two living neighbors. with a roommate for two months and I didn't remember his name until Oh jeez. Well you are also living in that weird month to month place right now. Yeah. Um yeah, I think I don't think I ever knew my roommate anyone in an apartment building I've lived in who I didn't already know before. Like and there were not, there was tons of people I knew because we were just all in the same major, but... Yeah. You don't really... Talk. Yeah, I've never known... Oh, yeah, I knew my neighbors, I think, in freshman year of college. In your dorm? And then literally every year after that, I've not known any of... Oh, no, and then senior year of college. That house. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I kind of knew a neighbor in the first condo that Danielle had, and then it turns out he was a squatter who was living in the apartment <laughs> below us. No way! <laughs> what? Yeah. It was very weird. I never knew about that. My neighbors in my first apartment, uh, the only thing I knew about them is that they liked two things, uh, Velveeta cheese and weed. Nice. <laughs> I feel like one kind of like... goes with the other. I was just going to say that. Yes. The only question is, which is the primary thing, and which goes with it? Which is the gateway drug? It's the weed and the cheese. It's the weed and the cheese. (laughs) Or the cheese. Or the weed. Yeah. What's your drug, Velveeta? (laughs) Um, Okay, so there's the couple with the mattress and the terrible tragedy of the movie. And then... The newlyweds just are... Newlyweds? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then and there's, like, the sculptor like, lady. I like the sculptor lady, and she's sculpting that thing, and that guy, a delivery man's like, what do you call that? And she's like, hunger. <laughs> it's this, like, weird sculpture of a person with a hole in its middle. Yeah. Lady's just chill. I like her. I feel like if there's anybody in that movie I would want to be, it's her. Oh, yeah. Sunbathing whenever she wants, trying to save that dog. Just plan with uh, playing with some sculpting. Yeah. She can turn off her ears um, whenever she, she wants. She was also super helpful when um, Thorwald was planting, and she was like, do it like this. And he was like, shut up! That's <laughs> Yeah. Even though he's a dick. Okay, um, so... Sorry, there's one ahead. last thing with the songwriter I want to address. Okay. I don't think he pays rent. 
because Jimmy Stewart makes the comment. <gasps> yep. That about how he gets it from the landlady once a month. What? Yeah, I what? think I noticed that. Yeah, oh, I noticed it. I mean, yeah. He's going to have to start paying rent when he starts dating. <laughs> I know, I was like, oh, Jesus. Or he can just move in with Miss Lonely Hearts. There you go. Yeah, well, I don't think he's going to leave his apartment. No, that's true. I think Miss Lonely Hearts deserves to live in that, that uh, penthouse. I don't think it's, it's a penthouse. penthouse. It's just that one studio. Fine. Studio. But it's a gorgeous a studio, studio apartment. Oh, yeah. I'd live there. Can I just say, his guests got over the death of a dog way too soon. Oh, agreed. I would Like, know. if a dog dies, that's a party over, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a I party would be bummed ending for situation if right I saw there. a dead dog oh. in the middle of a courtyard. Oh, my God. No. That- I'd be like, well, sorry. We can't go to Jerry's house anymore. We saw a dog die. <laughs> Katie. <laughs> Uh, does anyone else here watch R- River Street? Mm-mm. I do. What, how far are you? I just haven't seen the last season. Okay. I don't think I'm going to ruin anything. Spoiler alert. If but, you yeah, spoiler alert for the first episode of season five. You see a dead dog. No! I actually have that downloaded on my phone right now because I just finished watching Twin Peaks. Oh, so I'm gonna do Ripper Street next. I'm so sorry. I mean, oh. there's like a thing with a dog fighting ring. Oh, I hate those. Yeah, so it's Fucking just Victorians. bad. It's just really terrible. Ugh. And then I was like, I was like crying watching the show. <laughs> That's sad. Like last night, I can't believe you're watching it now. <laughs> yes, I am. I literally so downloaded weird. it to watch this weekend. All right. Um. I have a couple more notes that do we want to just go over mine and then like go through? Yeah, let's I, go. Well, I think know. what we should do is establish what really happened because they kind of do that in the end of the movie, but I just want to make sure that I'm clear on everything. So, what was originally okay? So, we don't know who the woman is who leaves at six in the morning. True. I don't know if we ever I find out. I think, did they talk about... Um, they mentioned he had a mistress. Yes. They, well, do they Jimmy, know or do they speculate? It's hypothesized. They speculated. We never found that out for real, but... I thought Doyle said something. Sense. And then why would the mistress be at the apartment? Unless... Because they, they... Helping him dispose of the body. But they left from the apartment. Like, inside the apartment. So would she be in there? Can I ask? Yes. So we see the wife and him argue. Yeah. He went out three times with that case. Yes. I don't, this is morbid, but I don't think that case is big enough to carry, you know, a human body three times. Like, Well, he had had something buried in the garden. I thought he he had the knives buried. I think specifically that was the head. Oh, the head because of the hat box. And then Doyle at the end was like, hey, Stella, you want to look in the hat box? And she was like, no. And then she was like, kind of with her face. I didn't realize. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he chopped off her head and buried buried it there. And then when the dog was sniffing around, she put it in the hat box. But even so, her torso would not fit in that sample case. So where is her body? (laughs) Maybe she had no legs. I mean, he, he said maybe in the East River or whatever, but... 
Maybe there was one time when um, Jeff was sleeping that he went out again. Maybe That's... four. Four might Maybe her do body it. was still in the tub. I mean, was Jeff like awake all night and then saw him at three in the morning, or did he wake up at three and then see him like making the trips? I think he woke up. I think you're right. Because he was definitely asleep at six when he left with his mistress. Yeah. So. Slash a strange woman who we don't know who she is. I think he was dozing that night, but not really sleeping. So Thorwald kills his wife, traps her up in the bathtub, buries the head in the garden, takes some body parts out to the East River and dumps them. Um, and then him and a woman leave the apartment at six. He takes her to the train station and then she gets to where she's going and sends him a letter, but then he's also calling someone long distance. I mean, long yes. distance at this time could be upstate New York. Well, but that's something that Jeff asks. Like he's like, why would, miles or so. why would she... S- he's calling people long Maddie distance. I think he's arranging a trip out of the country because he's packing up, remember? Yeah. But, like, he... Um, Jeff says something like, why would somebody send a letter and call to say that they had arrived safely? To give him extra alibi shit. Maybe. Like, I think the the country wife is his mistress, sending the postcard, calling him, and then he calls again and he's like, oh, I, I forgot to put the purse and stuff in the trunk. So her purse and her wedding ring is still here. And that's what, you know. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's it. Um, cause that's gotta be what happened. Let's see. Cause I wrote down. So then after the cleaning up, he wraps the knives in the newspaper after cleaning them. He, uh, wipes down that box. Yeah. The super is the one who saw him returning after dropping off his wife, quote-unquote wife, at the train station. Mm-hmm. Maddie, sit up. I'm I'm awake. <laughs> um, I was contributing. Uh, yeah, okay. So my, the rest of my notes, I still, so Jimmy Stewart, I think, is really good at having natural conversations. Agreed. Like, which I definitely yeah. have noticed before in other movies, but he t- he will over-talk people, like we clearly constantly do on this podcast, <laughs> over-talk each other. But he does it in movies, which normally, like, they don't allow because they want the dialogue to be perfect or pristine. Yeah. And I think the fact that he, like... And maybe it's because he doesn't always listen to his co-stars, I don't know. <laughs> but I still get really mad at him when he tells her to shut up, because he's just so angry about it well she is i mean not in his defense but she was not listening to him either oh yeah no she um she's definitely being a little bit weird and overbearing yeah but he keeps saying he's not in love with her but also he's a total dickwad about yeah Um, okay I really love, I mean, obviously, we talk, I love the set, and I love the cinematography, mm-hmm. and I love seeing reflections. 
So we see the reflections of the building in all of his binoculars and in his camera lenses and stuff. Right. Which I loved. And then I didn't notice this until yesterday or when I watched it. At the very end, when you see, um, when Lisa is in his apartment and he opens the front door, the Mac, yes, like his window. Yeah. Is set up. You can his see window it. is poised exactly to reflect him walking into the apartment. Exactly, and you because it's such a great way to see his face. Uh, yeah, when he's his walking reaction. into the apartment because you can't Thorwald, do that. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. Aww. Yeah, that was cool. And like clearly, everything's so meticulous with Hitchcock. Like, there's a reason he's talking to all these people through headsets and everything's set up perfectly. And every like these sets are so. I mean, working with him, I've heard, is kind of a nightmare, but it's because he's got this vision in his head, and he's like, I need to make it be what it I want it to be, you know? Yeah. So I, I just really like the reflections. Um, are sleepovers not allowed in 1954? Um, by landlords? I thought that was weird. Like, they why is Doyle be. being super judgmental? Well, they might not be like they might be like more frowned upon i'm wondering though do you remember like in agent carter how like men are allowed in the building are like two single people not not allowed allowed to be in a room together like overnight no i mean they had like enforced morality and i guess you know people like they're like this is a good neighborhood and we don't want you know bad characters and we don't want that kind of behavior but like he was just being so judgmental when he like looks at her fabulous attache case or whatever oh my god right yeah i wanted it yeah and i wanted that fucking nightgown just to like i've always wanted to just like float around like blanche Devereaux in a giant house (laughs) or you'll get the bathroom thing (laughs) um i love the brandy swirling did you notice that when she's pouring brandy when Doyle comes over. For so long. They're all literally just standing there having this serious conversation and then oscillating their brandy snifters. It was just really funny. It was amazing. Yeah. Which I think is just natural at the time for people to do that. I do that Um, with my wine a lot. That's true. I clink my bourbon like with the ice in the glass. I suck down the gin and tonic and I don't really care about anything else. And the last thing, um, why would you nickname your wife Old Hambone? At the very end when he's like, Old Hambone is the wife's nickname. I think it's in reference to the fact that uh, Doyle originally thought that the dog was digging for a ham bone. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Or it's had, it had something to do with uh, what Doyle thought was in the cases. Gotcha. Um, I lied. The actual last thing is how... Hitchcock developed this technique where the subjective thing where you look at Jimmy Stewart and his face and then you see what Jimmy Stewart is seeing and then you go back to Jimmy Stewart to see his reaction Mm. which is utilized obviously in this movie a billion times but but it doesn't doesn't feel boring or weird That's one of the, that's the last thing I for me that I have notes about. Why am I not bored by this movie watching it four times? Like 
It's amazing. I like old movies a lot, but I, watching most things once, even Hitchcock, like, I've watched a lot of his silent movies. I'm like, once is good. Like, I got it. But, like, I literally have watched this movie within the past year, and... I think there's something about the pacing. There's something about the characters, the the tension that is just like yeah. you're you're pulled so taut, you know, by the things that are going on. And like there is like a small cast of characters. The stuff that there's always something happening on the screen because there's always something happening in the apartments. Like even if it's just something boring, like. Oh, Miss Lonely Hearts, like, drinking. Very engaging. Yeah. I didn't think about the fact that there's always something happening. Yeah. And, like, I have I was weirded out. Even though I was watching it this time to pay attention for our podcast, mm-hmm. I never once, like, looked at my phone. Which is almost unheard of when I'm watching a movie made before, like, 1980. Yeah. I think, I mean, that might be part of it, you know. The sound was was good. You're never Maybe bored. because it immerses you in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. Carrie, uh, what are your, what yeah, are your Carrie, final sorry. words? That's okay. Um, His leg is going to be so gross when the cast comes off. <laughs> oh, yeah. So right. <laughs> like, because it's 98 degrees or whatever. And, like, it's going to be so sweaty and, like, so much, um, like, dead skin. And don't forget the fear you're in. How? I was going to say, like, how does he use the restroom? Um, I was thinking about Maddie, that. Like, you, so, like, because he's got this cast around his entire pelvis and then his leg. Can you, is there just, like, a catheter sticking Ew. out of the front? No, 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 no. That would be a bad idea. <laughs> Um, actually, they might have done that in the 50s, though. Um, <laughs> they did a lot of bad things in the 50s. But, oh I'm thinking it has to be shaped, like, so yeah, there's, like, the, the tube for the leg, and then it goes up to, like, a wider tube, and then his other leg kind of goes, does this other leg go into it? Like, does it circum, uh... Circumvent. Like- circumnavigate, but that's wrong. <laughs> Um, it goes around his other leg, right? Yeah. I think it goes around his hip, but maybe it stops just above his butt. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think that's probably correct. She said butt. I think it's almost like a U shape when you're looking from the front and from the side. It just kind of like... Yeah. It goes up and then over and then down, maybe. All right, my next note is, I don't know if a magazine would really value a photographer like they value him, mm-hmm. at least maybe not today. Like, cause, like his editor's on the phone, and he's like, no, we can't risk you. You're doing, you're stay home for one more week, blah, 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 blah. And I just I don't know. You are right for the most part. But not not back then, and not for someone as famous as him. Like, well, actually, Mac, you said that he was really famous, world famous, and I don't think you're right because if he was world famous, he would not be living in that apartment in Greenwich Village. No, sorry, 
Yeah, but he's a world famous photographer. It's like saying a successful artist. They'll still eat ramen and hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, true. And you know, if he's traveling all the time, why have a big place? That's true. Um. Okay. I don't think you can really see people's lives like that anymore. I don't think people really. I mean, I don't live in New York. I don't know what New York is like, but I don't think that you can really observe people like he did in the movie. I think because the 60s through 90s happened and nobody leaves their windows open anymore. Yeah. Well, also, no, they still do, but I think more people shut their windows. Blinds. Maddie, get up. Yeah, I know. Um, I have a week... Somebody said something about how he'll have a week he'll never forget, and I was like, ha, yes. Um, I also think that people's lives are not this interesting, because normally people are just, like, washing dishes, or reading, or watching TV. Singing show tunes. Sure! (laughs) That, that's really just so scintillating to watch. Um, da-da-da. Well, it depends on the person. I, okay. Yeah. Miss Torso's interesting to watch. The sculptor's interesting to watch. I think Miss Torso is interesting to watch, specifically to Jeffries. Well, to really any of those dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Doyle was watching her. Yeah, Doyle was being a creep. And maybe some of the ladies. You never know. That's true. You don't actually know who else is living in Jeffries' building. Yeah. We all saw Rebecca. (laughs) Uh, My last. All lesbians are evil, Mac? No, I'm saying that lesbians existed in the 50s. Yes. That movie came out in 1940, actually. This is um, Hitchcock and his issue with lesbians again. Yeah. But, I mean, that's just, we're hypothesizing potential neighbors that we don't see, so. We're thinking, yeah, we're Um, making it up, as they say. I had a... Straight up bullshitting. One other issue. (laughs) With, uh, Doyle's babysitter? Oh, yeah. Super racist. Oh, yeah. I, I wrote that down. That is... I wrote about that. That's cool. very problematic. Yeah. Oh, I wrote... Oh, I didn't have a note. Yeah. I just wrote frowny face. <laughs> I wrote super racist um, with the babysitter. Yeah. Very racist. Not okay. And then the last thing I wrote down, which we did talk about, was the wheelchair spin, because it was so amazing. Just so tense, that whole scene. Yeah. Just... Alright, Maddie, last notes? Um, <laughs> just, oh, so, I feel like maybe it's because I have seen many shows, like, um, you know, crime shows and stuff, but... Jeff should know that you can't just walk, like a detective can't just walk into somebody's house without a warrant and search it. Yeah. He should Like, know. that is, like, that's, like, not a new thing with, um, like, TV shows that is in the Constitution. But in the 50s, I feel like you could kind you know, of you just wait, like, finagle your way into doing stuff like that. I don't know. Due process. Cop shows in the 50s. Illegal search and seizure. I mean, I've really only watched you know, one episode co- of Perry Mason, so I can't really comment on it. But but think about how people saw cops in the 50s. They didn't think, oh, these are shows that show due process. There was no law and order back there. Cop shows were like, 
Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna slap the truth out of these mooks and we're gonna find the bad guys and shoot up the place. Were there cop shows in the 50s? <laughs> I'm forced to assume there, there were, were at least radio a few. There were superhero shows. shows. That I could understand. I mean, there's Could you constant... imagine CSI Miami, but in the 50s? No. Oh my gosh, imagine the guy doing the sound effects for that. <sighs> imagine the, imagine a 1950s version of the song that goes, Yeah! <laughs> okay, Mac, what would a 1950s version of that be? Um, got me on the spot here. <laughs> on um, purpose. A do wop wop do wop No. Yeah. <laughs> doop doo bow. Yeah, exactly. Ba-dow, doop, ba-dow. All right, Maddie, what else you got? Ba-dow. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Stella is cool. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. We didn't talk about Stella. I mean, we are kind of coming up on our time, but Stella is amazing. Yes. Stella's awesome. I love that and, she's just um, thinking so hard right away, about how you cut off a human so body. Yes. She's very practical. I like her. And it's kind of sad that insurance nurses aren't actually a thing. Anymore. They might um, be. Yes, they are. Oh, they yeah. are? Not in that way. Yeah. When I started my oh. injection medication, I had a nurse come over. Actually, she might not have been an insurance nurse. She was a nurse for the company that makes the drug. But yeah, she came over to the house to show me how to use the thing so that I wouldn't, like, screw up the $6,000 a month medication. Yeah, America! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> no, Stella's awesome. I love Stella. It, the movie would not be the same without Stella. Oh, no, 100% not. Yeah, no. Stella! She just had great wisdom and she was i love that she was basically like get your head out of your ass and marry that girl you jerk yeah i liked that that actress like that's grace kelly you marry her yeah she's interested in you yeah why is grace kelly interested in this guy that i don't understand i was that was confused even though wish fulfillment the screenwriters wish fulfillment (laughs) yeah yeah but that was all the notes I have. Uh, the rest we kind of already went over. Yeah, same for me. Mac. 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 I only have two. I only chewed notes. Uh, my first one uh, was part of the opening shot. I thought it was incredibly adorable that Jeffries uh, framed the negative of the photo of Lisa and not the actual photo itself. Charming or strange? I thought it was charming because he's like a photographer. And, you Negatives know, aren't that big. The negative is like... The photo is like it. he can copy more and more and more, but the negative, there's only one. That's cute. You're, I don't know. You're not yeah. really supposed to expose negatives to that much sunlight. Even well, after they've been developed. Maybe it was the actual negative. And anyway. they're also not that large. Anyway. And uh, my very last thing. One more annoying thing about Doyle. Ugh. He saves the most important, most relevant pieces of information for when he's walking out the door. Stupid. Oh, hey, by the way, uh, he got a letter this morning from Ho. Oh, his wife, she's alive and she's off in a resort. Bye. Oh, hey, by the way, um, uh, we, we looked into that crate. Really? What was in it? Oh, the wife's clothes. Fuck you, like, guys. He waits until the end of a conversation, and then he reveals the one most important piece of information 
in the entire conversation. Maddie, wake up. What? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I agree, Mac. I was really... Because I think it's just him being a dick, being like, like, having this whole conversation at the very end, being like, by the way, you're fucking wrong. See ya. And I had the evidence this whole time and just wanted to watch you squirm. That's why we're friends. 10-4, good old buddy. Why are they friends? They should not be friends. Uh, They were in the army together. Oh, that's right. They went through the war. It's like roommates, but you shoot at people. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's valid. All right, all right, all right. We gotta gotta close this thing out. Uh, Real quick. Wait, wait, wait! Penis count. How many penises? If we're doing, I have a question. Do we want to do everyone who had, we heard their voice or we saw them, everything? Or do we want to do. Do you have counts for both, Katie? I do have counts for both. Okay. Let's just do the counts for both. So if we're talking, anyone who we've heard over the phone, anyone we saw who had a line, there were 11 men and 12 women. Yes. Wow. I know. It's What's your other count? tipped in favor of the women because there are, like, Lonely Hearts lives by herself. Torso lives by herself. Bird Woman lives by herself. I like, mean. Sculptor lives by herself. The two sunbather ladies live by, like, are up there. Yeah. But also, like. Yeah. Yeah. What's your other count? Um, If you have a line and we can see you. A line that we understand. There's okay. eight men and nine women still. Yay! So good so, job. Because we can hmm. we hear Miss Torso at one point. We hear the sculptor. We hear the like Miss Lonely Hearts. Yes. So we do actually we hear, hear the them all, lady. and we hear the newlywed lady. Yes, we do. I mean, she just is like whatever his name is, Billy. I don't know. David. I don't know. <laughs> David. I think stab wise. Okay. I would give this a 10. I was thinking 9, like 9 or 10. Like, it's a good mystery because... 9.5. We don't... 9. No, until he basically walks in and goes, what do you want? Yeah. To not tell people I killed my... Like, yeah. And and just as a movie, too. That's a really yeah, good movie. Yeah. 9.5, I'd agree with. I can't get anything a person How many to stabs, me. Maddie? I would give it... I don't know. I kind of wanted to say 8.5 stabs, but I think if I had seen it for the first time this time, it would be 9, just because I wasn't as, you know, like, oh my god, about the the plot, because I already knew it. Yeah. Nice. Alright. Hey, hey, Katie, what are we going to watch next Wait, time? How many stabs did you get? I wasn't listening. I oh, gave okay. it 9. Well, guys... This has been fun. I love Rear Window. I literally just have Ugh. a heart, like, heart this movie. It's so good. It's Hence our long running time. Yeah. Everyone's good in it. The directing, the design, cinematography, even the writing. Everything's great. So, yeah. highly recommended. Yep. Um, Next time, just to be clear for everyone, Mac is hosting, so none of the yep. rest of us have to research. Yeah. Fairy Falls, right? We are watching season one, episode three of Gravity Falls, named Headhunters. Headhunters. Is there yes. a way to watch it online currently? Um, we will tell you how to 
when we stopped recording. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was on Hulu for a while. I don't know if it's still Okay. Well, I'll check for that. Um, it might be at the library. You never know. Yeah, go check the library. It might be on Disney XD's go website. Go libraries. How do people contact well, us, Katie? Well, you can follow us on Twitter at mostlymurderpod. No, not .com. <laughs> <laughs> mostlymurderpod. On Twitter, you can at, follow us. Yeah, at um, mostlymurderpod. You can email us questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions at mostlymurder, but sometimes not, at gmail.com. So, thanks for listening to this fantastic second I, visit to yes. I want people to know that the reason Maddie's tired is because it's 12.30 in the morning. It is 12.30. And she's had a warm glass of witch's oh, brew. Okay. And I worked... You worked 12, 12 hours. Oh, I didn't work 12 hours. But I worked today. Yeah. I worked 8 hours plus 3 hours of driving. So. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. That's why. Why. How many butts did you wipe? <laughs> How many butts own. did you wipe? Apart from your own. <laughs> How many butts did you wipe? Three. Mostly murder is sometimes not as sponsored by butt wiping. <laughs> butt wiping. Y'all best Matt. do it. Oh my gosh, this is how we need to end every podcast, is just ask Maddie how many buffs she that, wiped that day. How many buffs did you whoop? <laughs> get, get whooped. I whoop. Anyway. I whoop everybody's butt. Thanks hey, did for you listening. Get uh, <laughs> this is a great Clearly episode. we all need to get some sleep. No, I love uh, it. Anyway, this is Katie. Thank you. This is Carrie. And Maddie. And I'm Mac. Thank you for listening. Signing off. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.